This is Channel 253. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Jenny. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, empowering an informed electorate. I thought we were informing an empowered electorate. In in the the city city of destiny. Hi, Doug. Hi, Jenny. On today's episode of Citizen Tacoma, we interviewed Mark Lindquist, who is running to retain his seat as the Pierce County prosecuting attorney. Damn, he's tall. He's very tall and has an impressive list of accomplishments. And we talked to him about those and what he would like to do moving forward. Listen in. All right, Mark. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma. Thank you, Jenny. I know that your voice is a little crackly right now, and we appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. You've had to do a lot of public speaking lately, I imagine. Goes with the territory, yes. yes. All right. So we could start these interviews all the same way. Can you please explain or talk to us a bit about your Tacoma story? Well, I have a long history of visiting Tacoma. Many of my relatives are, are from here. My grandmother, for example, graduated from the stadium high school in 1928. Wow. We actually have pictures of her on her basketball team, and she's wearing a long wool skirt down to her ankles and a long-sleeved wool sweater. (laughs) Wow. Different time. Uh, My cousin served on the Tacoma City Council in the 1980s, and other relatives have lived here through the years, so I've always had a, a good excuse to visit. But I didn't move here until I was offered a job uh, at the prosecutor's office by John Lattenberg in 1995. I worked in the office as an intern, an unpaid intern. Mm -hmm. In fact, (laughs) you could argue I was actually paying to work there because I was paying for school credit, which I received for uh, for the internship. So it all worked out in the end, though. After that internship, John offered me a job, and I started as a deputy prosecutor. You know, fell in love with it back then. I liked the uh, trials. I liked the camaraderie and hmm. loved the satisfaction of the public service. And where do you live now? Now, Neighborhood. I, yes, now I live uh, in what's called the Wedge. The Wedge. Yeah, nice. I might as well put it out there. I think it's fairly well known. Actually, I think it was Lattenberg's who educated me that that area was called the Wedge. Yeah. So I've lived in a few places in Tacoma, but when I was single, I lived in a loft downtown. Hmm. Uh, but my wife, Chelsea, was not that taken with loft living and thought we should get a yes, house. And yes. we did. And it's good. You know, we have a young daughter, so it's nice to have a house in the backyard. Nice. All right. Can you explain for listeners who don't know, what is your job? What does the prosecutor's office do? Okay. Well, the prosecutor's office uh, does a lot. As the elected, what I think uh, you do and what I'll focus on for purposes of this dialogue is the elected sets priorities. And for example, I've prioritized protecting elders, protecting victims of domestic violence, enhancing therapeutic courts. I made the decision to recommend the lawsuit against Big Pharma to the county council. Uh, Those are the kind of decisions that an elected makes. And I'm going to end up, I'm sure, at some point in this dialogue elaborating on each of those. But that's the general idea. Uh, You make other decisions about parties as well. Uh, When I began as the prosecutor, uh, one of the first things our new leadership team did was to 
move the focus of the office away from emphasizing trial stats and toward emphasizing public service. And we call it the public service culture. I've actually mm. talked about that quite a bit with local attorney Evelyn Lopez, and I know she's talked about it with people as well. I believe a prosecutor's office is about more than just keeping the community safe. Uh, we very much are focused on keeping the community safe. But in addition to that, uh, it's our job to also look for ways to reform and improve the criminal justice system and to just generally serve the public. And it's just, it's a different mindset when you're thinking about racking up trial stats and when you're thinking about how do we best serve the public. Okay. Your campaign materials assert that women and children in Pierce County are safer because of you. Can you please tell us about your unified domestic violence team? We recently took our felony domestic violence team and combined them with our misdemeanor domestic violence team and with law enforcement and victims advocates and house them all together in one central location, hmm. which is the Crystal Judson Family Justice Center. By housing them all together in this sort of one-stop shop, uh, we're better able to serve and protect victims. Hmm. What kind of services do they receive there? One of the things I want to add is I believe that we're the first in the state to put them all together in one location like that. Hmm. And when victims come in there, you know, we look at it from two perspectives. One, we want to more effectively prosecute the cases. So mm -hmm. we want to open up a dialogue and make them feel you know, safe to be witnesses and to cooperate with law enforcement. And secondly, we want to provide services. Uh, so if they need housing, if they need leads on employment, mm -hmm. whatever it takes to kind of help them get away from the abuser and get away from the situation that they're currently in. And they can receive all of those services in one spot. We either deliver the services there or steer them toward places where they can receive the services. Yes. That's awesome. Same question regarding senior citizens. Uh, senior citizens are safer in Pierce County because of your work. Can you talk a bit about your elder abuse unit? One of the first things I did when I was elected prosecutor was form an elder abuse team. And the woman that I put in charge had a sense of humor about her appointment. She would tell people, Mark says there's no I in team, um, but in fact, there is an I in team because I am the entire team. <laughs> yes, and, and okay. she was. It was, a, it was a one woman team. It's now a five person team. Hmm. And we become a leader in the state and even in the country in both the effective prosecution and prevention of elder abuse. We are one of only nine counties in the entire country to have recently won an award, a grant of almost $400,000 from the Department of Justice for a comprehensive approach to reducing elder abuse. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what, what kind of problem that is for our community? Um, what kind of cases does that entail? Because our population is aging, we started seeing uptick in both physical abuse and financial abuse. That's hmm. when we actually formed this elder abuse team. And there tends to be overlap with the two. You know, mm -hmm. we would sometimes see the physical abuse being used as coercion uh, for financial abuse. So sometimes it's separate. Sometimes it's together. We see both kinds. Mm -hmm. uh, besides the prosecution of these cases, the other thing we've been doing as part of our prevention effort is going out in the community, Jenny, and talking to people about elder abuse. Yeah. What does it look like? How do you report it? How do you prevent it? Mm. We've gone out and talked to senior citizens groups, Kiwanis, Rotaries, banks, you name it. Anyone, in fact, anyone who's listening who thinks, you know, my group would really benefit mm -hmm. from hearing about 
this elder abuse program and hearing about how to recognize it, how to prevent it, how to report it, let us know. And we'd be happy to come out and talk to the group. Such a terrible problem. It is. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wondering how those cases get brought. Who's, Who's making those cases? Well, they come to us through law enforcement and sometimes through citizen complaints. Hmm. Uh, sometimes people call our office and say, hey, I heard you know Mark was talking to the Kiwanis Club here locally and was talking about X, and they told me I should call your office and report this. So we then report the case to law enforcement, and law enforcement investigates it. Hmm. Does that include stuff like uh, telephone scams and email scams and door-to-door scams and that kind of stuff? That Glad to have you weigh in on, on that, Doug. And Yes and no. Yes, it covers the local scams. Some of the telephone scams, however, are coming from, for all we know, the Ukraine. Right. So we can't actually hold those people accountable, but we can educate people about what they sound like so they know to hang up. I'll yeah. tell you, you know, I'll tell you the head of my elder abuse unit gives this bit of advice at every presentation about phone scams. Hang up. He starts with hang up and he ends with hang up. And in fact, that's what I tell my mother, hang up. Because she'll call me and tell me, oh, I received this phone call about X. You know, in mm-hmm. fact, I think one time she received a phone call about how her son was in jail in Mexico. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, she's not likely to fall for that one. But, uh, there, are, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there are a lot of scams out there. Uh, we can't cover them all. So what we tell people is hang up. If it's somebody legitimate, if, for example, it actually is the IRS, they will find another way to communicate with you. They won't be calling you at three in the morning. Right. And this must be because elderly people all have landlines still? Yes, they still have landlines. And one of the things that uh, the head of our elder abuse unit often says is their generation tended to be more trusting. Hmm. They're also all sure they're getting ripped off. <laughs> well, they, a little skepticism is actually healthy. We encourage that skepticism. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, when I, in a previous life, I worked at Tacoma Actors Guild in the box ah. office, and we had to call our subscribers a lot, and a lot of the subscribers were elderly, and um, I used to take a lot of flack for. <laughs> Trying to rip somebody off with their season tickets. Well, I am glad to hear the elderly subscribers were initially suspicious. They were. It must have been due to some education they are receiving. We're raising awareness. <laughs> raising awareness, yes. I. It, it's just interesting to me because I don't receive those phone calls on my cell phone, so I wonder right. if it was because landlines are still out there and that's how they're being reached. Yeah, we're not exactly sure where they get these lists, yeah. but they get them and they just hammer away at the same numbers over and over. That's so evil. It is. (laughs) Okay. Um, Could you talk a bit about um, your extensive community service that you have been performing in our community? Oh, that that goes back a a lot of years. Uh, I'll talk about some of the things that I've really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Serving on the Tacoma Community College Foundation Board Mm. uh, was was and is a good experience. And it opened my eyes to how important community colleges are. Mm. You know, it's that transition sometimes from high school to university. A large number of our students come to TCC and then go off to a four-year college. Mm. Uh, So that has been a a particularly good experience. You know, one of the things that Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I don't often get a chance, (laughs) Doug, to quote Arnold Schwarzenegger without it being from a movie, uh, but one of the things he talks about is how, you know, with public service, 
you do a lot of good for people, but you actually do more good for yourself. Yeah. Uh, and so I found my experience serving on that board to, to be an education and a great experience for myself. And I've now become a big advocate for Tacoma Community College. Mm. Uh, more recently, I've been serving on the City Club board. Mm. And part of the mission there is to elevate the civic dialogue. And as I see our political discourse uh, go more divisive and rancorous, I'm happy to do what I can to help elevate the dialogue. Mm. So I view my service on, with City Club as a part of that. Uh, some of the other things I've done through the years, oh, you know what I really enjoyed doing? Uh, I was a reading tutor mm. at McCarver Elementary for many years. This is back when I was a deputy prosecutor. Mm -hmm. And that uh, I really enjoyed doing. And as Doug and I were talking about before the show started rolling, I'm a music fan and a, and a writer, and so I'm very pro-book. So I really enjoyed the chance to sit down and uh, meet with these young kids and kind of read books with them and help them with their reading. And now, of course, I have my own daughter. And so I, I try to read to her every night, at least on those nights when I get home in time to do so. And, you know, and then there's other things like, you know, rotary and so forth. But I'd say those yeah. are some of the highlights, being a reading tutor, serving with the TCC board and uh, City Club more recently. Mm. In terms of importance to your office, um, you would say that giving back to the community is an important part of that? Right. As part of our public service culture that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. where we were shifting away from that focus on trial statistics, you know, the individual's trial statistics to the team's public service, we've encouraged people in our office to be involved in your community. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're already doing good work for the community as a prosecutor or mm -hmm. as a support staff person, uh, but also, but get out there and serve the community. And what uh, you will find is we have people in our office who serve on boards, serve on committees, run for school board, run for city council. So I think that's a great thing that people in our office are getting more involved in the community. Hmm. What would you say are the top issues facing Pierce County that your office is currently dealing with? So I know you said currently, but I'm going to go back a little bit in history because mm -hmm. I think that gives us some perspective on the present. You know, more than a decade ago, we were one of the worst counties in the country for methamphetamine labs. Mm -hmm. We were actually number three in the nation. That was about Yikes. the time I was writing The King of Methlehem. Mm. Uh, over time, through a combination of vigorous prosecution, smart law enforcement, and legislative fixes, as well as community involvement, we practically eliminated meth labs. You know, mm. we went from having six, seven hundred, six or seven hundred wow. meth labs a year to now we have six or seven mm. meth labs a year. So this enormous reduction because we recognized the challenge, we worked together, and we all but eliminated the problem. So that's mm. a success story, uh, the methamphetamine challenge and how we conquered that. Uh, similarly with gangs, you know, we saw an uptick in gang violence that I was worried could start to become like the 90s, if you remember what the 90s gang wars were like yeah. in Pierce County. And we got on top of that and had some high-profile sweeps of particularly violent street gangs. And we also worked with our partners on prevention efforts. So we've seen gang violence be just about cut in half in Pierce County. And again, that's another success story because we recognize the challenge. We worked together on mm -hmm. the challenge and we overcame it. More recently, we were also talking about elder abuse. Again, we, right. we saw that as a rising challenge, and we met that challenge. Today, I think the big challenge is the opioid crisis, and that's affecting us in a lot of different ways. Mm. Uh, from the prosecutor's office perspective, uh, we're approaching that uh, 
a few ways, but I'll focus on two ways. Uh, number one, we have been enhancing our therapeutic courts, mm -hmm. our drug court, our veterans court, and our mental health court. Mm -hmm. And number two, as I mentioned earlier, I asked the county council for the green light to file a lawsuit against Big Pharma. And we're looking right. for two things in that lawsuit. Uh, number one, injunctive relief to stop them from their deceptive marketing practices. And number two, financial relief, because you know what every lawsuit's about, mm. money. Yeah. So we're hoping to recover money for Pierce County taxpayers and use that money to address the opioid crisis. I expect in the end, by the way, it'll be a lot like big tobacco. Uh, there's gonna be a fight. Uh, people know I'm not afraid of a fight. And in the end, there will be a settlement. And I wanna make sure that Pierce County gets our part of that settlement. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Amanda Westbrook, host of the sister podcast, We Are Tacoma. Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. PLU probably doesn't need an introduction. They've been a part of the Tacoma community since 1890. Maybe your kids went there. Hey, maybe you went there. Go Lutes. But if you're thinking about revamping your career or launching a second career, have you thought about PLU for a master's program? PLU offers a dozen master's degrees and postgraduate certificates. And get this, some of them can be completed in as little as nine months. Get your master's in education and become someone's favorite teacher. Get your MFA and unleash your inner poet. Or what about a master's in business administration, finance, or marketing research? Well, honestly, I'm not sure what you can get with those degrees, but I bet it pays really, really well. Application for all master's programs are on a rolling basis. For more information, visit plu.edu slash graduate to learn more. PLU, for the next step in your career. Okay, we're back. I want to talk a bit more about your case of big, against Big Pharma and just the opioid crisis in general. Can you talk a bit about how your office in particular, um, when these cases come in, um, and, and maybe you can elucidate a bit about the therapeutic courts, like how are we working towards solving this crisis? So moving to the therapeutic courts, the way drug court works is this. You have someone who's charged with a crime. Mm. The problem, by the way, with drug court is you don't get into the drug court until you've committed a crime. Right. But a crime's committed, uh, the individual's charged with that crime, and then the defense lawyer comes to the prosecutor and says, I think this case qualifies for drug court. Mm. And then the prosecutor, the deputy prosecutor reviews the case, and then if the deputy prosecutor agrees, they'll go to the judge and say, we believe this case meets the criteria for drug court. And then the individual enters into drug court rather than serving jail or prison time. And what are the criteria for qualifying for drug court? Well, first, there are a certain number of offenses that will disqualify you. Yeah. We're not bringing people into drug court, obviously, for murder, mm. rape, drive-by shooting, those kind of violent crimes. Mm. So first, it has to be a qualifying crime. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, uh, the crime has to be driven to some degree by the drug addiction. Okay. And then there's some other variables as well, but that's the big picture. And if the person qualifies for drug court, then they go into the system with this understanding. If they successfully complete drug court, there will be no conviction on their record. Right. So for example, we've had firefighters and teachers and other people who just simply can't have a conviction on mm. their record do drug court. Uh, we've had other people who just don't want a conviction 
on their record. Or we've had people that already have multiple convictions on their record and don't want to go to prison for a long time for this conviction. So people have a variety of different motives for coming into drug court. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the common theme is this. We're going to help you get off drugs and stay off drugs. And if, if we're successful, you end up without a conviction and not having to do the prison time. So drug court, it's my understanding, is that it's therapeutic. Correct. So they're not having punishments. They're having um, assignments to complete or programs to achieve. Right. They are checking in with their counsel on a regular basis. They're Mm -hmm. checking in with the judge on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And they need to basically stay on the straight and narrow through the okay. program. And different conditions are attached to different individuals. Like time lengths and stuff. Exactly. Okay. And quite frankly, there is no one set time length. Some people take longer to get through the treatment process mm-hmm. than others take. Uh, but the important thing is, uh, what the judge looks at is, is this person making progress? Right. That's really interesting. Um, more about the big the opioid crisis in general. Um, so you have you have made a case against the ph- big pharma, and um, you're looking for a settlement for Pierce County at some point. Can right. you explain that a little bit more? So, you know, initially I wanted whether or not we wanted to file this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I there were other government entities around the country that were doing so. Mm-hmm. You know, usually governments are the ones who are being sued, mm-hmm. uh, not the ones who are doing the suing. And sometimes governments have frivolous lawsuits filed against them. And I did not want to be the guy who was filing a lawsuit that was frivolous. I wanted to be sure if we filed a lawsuit that it was supported by the facts and by the law. Mm -hmm. And we were studying the lawsuits around the country and how they were playing out. And there was one moment that that I remember well. Uh, A lawyer came to me and said, you've got to listen to this judge on tape when he's talking to the lawyers for the pharmaceutical companies because the judge turned to the pharmaceutical company lawyers when it was their turn to make their case and the judge opened up to lawyers by saying, could you please tell me how it is that your client differs from a Latin American drug cartel? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, exactly. So you know right then and there that uh, they are digging themselves out of a hole, that clearly the judge has telegraphed that he sees a case here. So that, uh, combined with other opinions we were reading around the country, convinced me that we had both the facts and the law necessary to proceed with a successful lawsuit. And so I went to the county council, made our case, and the county council Mm. agreed, and so we filed it. We initially filed the lawsuit in federal court just against the three major pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. That was last year. This year, we've actually expanded the lawsuit uh, against the distributors as well. And that case is that the the products are being over-prescribed or not properly stored? I don't understand the the nuts and bolts of this case. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's actually, we could do a whole show on this at a future time. Uh, But to kind of synthesize it down to the essentials here. Mm -hmm. The focus right now for our lawsuit is, number one, their deceptive marketing practices. They were basically selling oxycodone, Mm -hmm. an incredibly addictive substance, as, quote, non-habit forming, end quote. Okay. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, what we're finding as we expand the lawsuit is that the distributors 
were in something resembling a conspiracy with Big Pharma hmm. to carry this out. That is that the distributors uh, knew what Big Pharma was doing. Yeah. Uh, those will be some of the allegations of our lawsuit. Okay. And as I said, I think it'll go through a, a lot of legal wrestling for a while. Mm -hmm. But in the end, like Big Tobacco, I think we're going to see a settlement. Because when you get into these facts, these are not facts that I think Big Pharma wants to put in front of a jury. Right. That's fascinating. Okay, subject departure. <laughs> um, people of color everywhere, not just in Pierce County, statistically receive harsher sentencing. If elected, what do you plan to do to increase diversity and equity within your office? So we are incarcerating too many people in this country. Our incarceration rate has quadrupled since 1980. And too many of those people are people of color, primarily young men of color. And some of the bias is conscious and much of the bias is unconscious. So I think a big part of what we do in the prosecutor's office is try to eliminate the conscious bias, which is the easy part, by the way, mm -hmm. and also address the unconscious bias. One of the things we've done in our office is we've actually brought in professional trainers to work with our leadership team on diversity and inclusion and equity issues. Okay. And anytime you know, there's change and progress, there's naturally sometimes some pushback. Mm. Uh, but I've actually been very pleased with how our leadership team has embraced uh, these notions. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly we all agree we want to increase the diversity. You know, we want a system that is fair and equitable. Mm -hmm. And so it's been so successful with our leadership team, we're going to expand that training in these seminars to our rank and file as well. Hmm. Because I think a big part of the equation is just raising awareness. You can't really address a problem until you're aware of the problem. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about those trainings? Um, what's, what kind of um, diversity and equity results are we looking for as a result of those trainings? I think the first part, as I mentioned, is just to kind of bring people up to speed and make them aware of cultural differences and how they might be perceiving or misperceiving individuals. Mm -hmm. What I think is important, among other things that I've talked about uh, with the people that are doing this for our staff, is I think it helps us not only you know better prosecute our cases, but I think it also helps us better understand the community that we're serving mm -hmm. and helps us relate better to people, whether they be you know victims or f friends of victims or family of victims or witnesses. You know we serve a large and diverse community. Mm -hmm. So just kind of making people more aware of those kind of cultural issues and differences and how to how to address that is mm -hmm. helping, I believe. What policies do you see that could improve your office's accountability to communities of color that you could implement if elected? You know, one of the things that I did actually last year uh, toward that goal was formed a community advisory committee to the prosecutor's office. Mm -hmm. And we recruited people, a very diverse group of people from all over the county. We wanted to be sure the committee was diverse, uh, not only racially, but geographically economically and professionally. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we meet every month with this group and they give me and our leadership team feedback on how they think we're doing in their particular community. And we found that very useful. Hmm. What learnings did you take from your primary results? 
Well, this has been a strange year politically. Yeah. Uh, I am confident that the focus of our campaign, which has been to focus on what we're doing to make the community safer, mm-hmm. what we're doing to improve the system, is still the correct focus. So when I go out there and talk to community groups, I am still talking about you know, our accomplishments in public safety, which we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. I'm still talking about some of our improvements and reforms of the criminal justice system, which we've also talked about today. Mm-hmm. And then I also listen to the public about what they think we could be doing even further you know, to make the community safer or to improve the criminal justice system. So what I'm getting out there is that a lot of people didn't vote in the primary, but Mm. they're promising me they will vote in the general. Uh, When I'm out there, I just hear a lot of compliments from people who are just really pleased with the work our office is doing, again, both on community safety and also on the criminal justice system. One One of the stories I can tell you is I was in a parking lot with my wife and this woman comes up to me and she goes, I know you. <laughs> and, you know, Chelsea's looking up at me like, okay, here we go. And she goes, you prosecuted my boyfriend. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know where this is going. Yeah. And then she says, the judge hammered him, gave him like 10 years. And I'm kind of nodding along yeah, you, the, with yeah. A, an expression probably similar <laughs> to the one you have right now. But then she went on to tell me that while her boyfriend was in prison, for assaulting her, by the way, mm. uh, she got her life together. She got a job. Her kids were in school, and she was just very pleased uh, with how things were going. And she wanted to share that story with me and express, you know, her gratitude. So those are kind of the stories I hear out there in the community. Uh, now, when I hear those stories, I say, "Hey, don't forget to get, don't forget <laughs> to vote in November. Don't forget November sixth. Okay. I know that you have had to answer to a lot of things at all of your community boards, and I want to just give you the opportunity to help our listeners to understand from your point of view um, some of these things. So according to the News Tribune, there are four bar complaints filed against your office in 2015 and 2016 that have cost the taxpayers more than $225,000. You have an active complaint that was resulted in a disciplinary hearing in December, will result, and um, additionally, previous public disclosure case involving text messages sent from your phone resulted in charges to the county exceeding a million dollars. What do you want our listeners to understand about these issues? How do you respond to allegations that your campaign is surrounded by controversy? Right. Complaints, bar complaints, lawsuits, it all goes with the territory. Mm. Uh, Bar complaints are just a simple reality of the job. And by the way, I'm sure it's a lot more than four bar complaints. Okay. Uh, In fact, uh, you know, what's interesting, though, and I think what has changed a little through the years is... Our opponents are actually using bar complaints for political purposes. They file these frivolous bar complaints uh, to generate a headline for Mm. political purposes. And then when the bar complaints are dismissed, which they all have been so far, and I'm confident they all will be, after they're dismissed, they then complain about the money it cost to defeat their frivolous bar complaints. Mm. There's a certain irony in that, filing frivolous bar complaints and then complaining about the money it costs to defeat them. Uh, But But that's politics these days. But they results in public hearings or disciplinary action. Isn't that correct? They almost never result in disciplinary action unless you have stolen money or done something very severe. Uh, My opponent, for example, is facing a bar complaint that alleges criminal activity. That's a very serious allegation. But the bar complaints that have been levied against people in my office, including me, uh, have all been, as I said, dismissed thus far, 
And the ones that are outstanding are the kind of things that are extremely unlikely to result in any disciplinary moves. But as I said, so I the think one, they'll all be defeated anyway. The one against your, compo- your opponent was um, put put in by Glenn Morgan. Is that the one you're I believe so, to? yes. Okay. And he has um, submitted 361 complaints since January of 2017 and targets Democrats exclusively? He is a professional filer. Uh, does not target Democrats exclusively, but I would agree certainly primarily. Okay. And uh, in this case, the woman. <laughs> I don't think uh, that is the only one, but I really don't know. One of the things that I believe is Jeff Bezos says, focus more on your business and less on your competitor's business. I Excellent. mentioned it only in the larger context of the fact that bar complaints go with the job. Okay. How can people get in touch with you or get more involved with your campaign? Oh, great. Thank you. Actually, we have <laughs> Beck and my campaign manager sitting here with us. Uh, so she's a great contact. Okay. And that's manager at marklinquist.org. And if they want to get in contact, for example, about elder abuse, they can get in contact with the office. Okay. So I'm going to kind of, I'm now going to wear two hats. Okay. One is as a candidate and the other is as a prosecutor. <laughs> so if someone wants to get in touch with our campaign, Becca's their best contact. Okay. If someone has something they want to report regarding elder abuse or something else that involves our office, then contact my office. And how do they do that? Thank you. 253-798-7792. Okay. And what else do you have going on in your campaign before the 6th that people should know about? Well, Becca, I think tomorrow night, and I hope this is out there soon enough for this to still be relevant. I don't think it will be, but tell us about your fun events anyway. <laughs> All right, I'll mention it anyway. Uh, Wednesday night, October 24th, 6 p.m. at the Swiss, we are like having fun. a Halloween bash with the Beatniks. And if you don't know the Beatniks, they are, I think, the best cover band in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. You know, they've played for... Uh, you name it, they've played for them. They've played for Microsoft. <laughs> Doug is nodding in agreement that yeah. they are, in fact, one of the best cover bands in the Northwest. So if this is out before Wednesday night, mm-hmm. come join us at the Swiss at 6 p.m. If not... Will uh, you we'll, be in costume? There will be people in costume. And in fact, Sonic's guy, Christopher Brandon, will be judging the costume contest. <laughs> I've not yet decided if I'll be one of the competitors, Jenny. Oh, come on. <laughs> you could do a real good... Um, uh, Dracula, right? No, not Dracula. What's the one with the bolts on his neck? Dracula's as good as any. I can tell you this. Frankenstein. My daughter, my daughter actually. Frankenstein. Yeah, I don't think she'll do that. My daughter <laughs> actually is coming, I think, as like a child of Dracula or something like that. See, you gotta yeah. have the. You could have the whole family costume. Yeah, we together. could do the whole. Yes, yes. Chelsea would look great in one of those big wigs with the. I think Chelsea might be passing on that <laughs> costume, but. Uh, <laughs> But I'll mention that to her. (laughs) Tell her I said she needs to come as Dracula's wife. (laughs) I will. Sloan leads the way in uh, costume themes. Yes, I'm sure. All right. Tell us why you deserve to keep your job and why the residents of Pierce County should vote for you on November 6th. Well, you know, I think, Jenny, we have covered a lot of that territory already. Um, The future, I believe, is bright here in Pierce County. Mm -hmm. You know, felony crimes are down about 18% in the last decade. Gang violence is down even more. Meth labs, as I mentioned, have practically disappeared. We are clearly moving in the right direction. Our community is safer. We've also been reforming and improving the system, and that's going to continue. You're going to see more of what's already working. And further, the public service culture has 
taken hold in the office. Mm. The young staff we've hired are extraordinarily talented and truly committed to public service. Uh, We have been hiring the best and most diverse staff I've ever seen in the office. And that's our future. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know it's hard to get in on your schedule, so we appreciate it. No, thanks, Jenny. I've appreciated it. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma Podcast today. We are part of the Channel 253 Network, where you can also find the Move to Tacoma Podcast, as well as the Nerd Farmer Podcast. And the Flounders B-Team, Crossing Division, Taco Man, and We Art Tacoma Podcasts. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you've heard on the show today, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, maybe there's something you've been wondering about that maybe we can investigate for you, please contact me at jennyjacobs253 at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Citizen Tacoma. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. And please consider either an annual or monthly membership. This is Channel 253.